0: Now, even though we're only 45 minutes from Clemson, I'm not a Clemson fan. I wanted all of you state folks to know that. So uh, anyway, I'm originally and still a Georgia Bulldog, but we won't get into that either. I was a pastor for 25 years in the state of Georgia before God called us into global missions. And Frontline Missions focuses on advancing the gospel in the world's difficult places. And so we're gonna be talking this morning about risk taking gospel advance and this is a perspective that may be somewhat new for you Uh, it's not something we hear a whole lot about but we'll look at the scriptures we'll see illustrations from uh, our own ministry to help you understand what God is up to in getting the gospel to unreached people groups and in the countries that are hostile to the cross okay so, you can begin opening your Bibles to Matthew 28. By the way, my congratulations to both Hannah and Anna. I was thrilled to see you following the Lord in believers' baptism this morning. As a pastor, I've had the, former pastor, had the privilege of baptizing a lot of people and seeing them take that public step of letting everyone know they're identifying with Jesus and following Him. Um, Also, I hope you will consider the uh, Impact Conference coming up next Friday and Saturday and Sunday uh, very seriously. The mission of the church is missions. You see, in the 21st century, we've got churches that have all kinds of ministries to all kinds of demographic groups and uh, special uh, needs groups, and I don't mean special needs in the sense of disabilities, but special issues in their lives. And sometimes we can forget about missions. You'll see in the church in the book of Acts, their focus was not on expanding how many different ministries they could have. They were focused on making disciples, okay? Now, when it comes to taking risk, risk is exposure to danger or loss. In the business world, we know about risk with insurance to compensate for potential loss. In investments, people make investments in the stock market or a startup business, they put capital into it, they know they can get a return on their investment, or they can lose their shirt. And with the volatility of the stock market, more recently because of COVID, and then even in 2008, people have lost money in the stock market. They took a risk and lost. And when it comes to corporations, a lot of corporations are risk averse, but you know what? A lot of Christians are risk averse too. And we want to look at this in light of what Jesus told his disciples in the Great Commission. You're familiar with this. You've heard it before. But notice this is given in verse 17, if you're looking at it in your text. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. But some doubted, and that will always be the case. So notice Jesus gave this, what we call the Great Commission, in the context of worship. I love the worship we did a while ago. Great songs great hymns, turning our hearts towards our magnificent God and His beautiful Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. This is given in the context of worship. And as Jesus gave this command, as we look in verse 18, it says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. So, He's the Lord of the church. He's the Lord of glory. And as He gives this commission, to these individuals, they already knew what he told them in the upper room some uh, two week or two earlier when he said, if the world hates me, it's going to hate you. He said, if they persecute me, they're going to persecute you. They remembered those words. They also knew what he told them back in Luke 10 too when he said, behold, I send you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Now, that's significant because... I've been a Christian for many years. I was raised in a pastor's home, read the Bible through many times. I'd read over passages like that and it'd just go right over my head. And one day the impact hit me. Never in the history of the human race have lambs gone up against wolves and won. He didn't say full grown adult male rams that at least have horns that can fight. He said, little lambs. And notice, Jesus wasn't sending his disciples out into a communist country like North Korea that hates Christians. He wasn't sending them out into ISIS territory with radical Islamics that hate the cross. He was sending them out to his own fellow Israelite people who didn't want to hear that Jesus was the Messiah and who didn't want to hear they needed to repent of their sins. And he said, guys, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. So they remembered all that. Now he tells them in verse 19, go therefore and make disciples, and notice all nations, making disciples among all nations. And the key, and they knew there were nations that were hostile to the claims of Jesus as Messiah. But notice what made it special, the promise at the end, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. We sang a while ago about wherever I am, you are always beside me. That's his promise. No matter where he calls us to go, that he is right there beside us with his magnificent presence. So, notice he says all nations. About 50, 60 years ago, it became prevalent in American Christianity among churches and mission agencies to say there are certain countries that are like Muslim countries or communist countries, they don't want American missionaries to come in, they won't give us visas to enter their country, so we're going to X them off and call them closed countries. You ever heard the term closed countries? Okay, we're going to X them off on the map and say they're closed countries, we're not responsible for the Great Commission there because they won't let us come in. Well, you know what? Coca-Cola's found out how to get into those countries. McDonald's has found out how to get into those countries. Why do they do it? To make a buck. Why can't we who follow the commander-in-chief of our souls, the the Lord of the nations, find out ways, look for ways to get into those countries? So, we call them now either restricted access nations, there are only restricted platforms by which you can get into those countries, or we call them creative access nations. You have to look for creative ways to get in there, okay? So buckle your seat belts, here we go, because we're going to focus on a whole region of the world where there are countries like this with some 70 nations. By the way, I did a study on communication a number of years ago, found out the average person can listen six to eight times faster than a person can talk. You know why you have a tendency for your mind to wander in class or in a church service? Because we can listen faster than a person can speak. So, I decided I'm just going to turn up the rate a little bit. So, I'm going to be talking kind of fast, we've got a lot to cover, so... Stick with me, please. Global mission starts with God's glory and fame among all the nations of the earth, not just the ones easy to get into, okay? Even the countries that hate the cross. Global mission starts with God's glory. That's a sum total of His character, all of His attributes. And his fame for all nations. A great tragedy is more than 2 billion people are failing to give God the worship he deserves. And that's what God's looking for. He's looking for true worshipers. Jesus told the woman at the well in Samaria, he said, the father is seeking true worshipers. True worshipers aren't born naturally. We're born as sinners. Pastor Davey preached on that this morning. We're born as sinners, separated from God, rebels. And we need to be converted through the gospel of Jesus Christ into true worshipers who worship Jesus in spirit and in truth. And if you don't know Christ as your Savior, you're not a follower of Jesus fully like we were singing about a while ago. Wherever you want me to go, I'll go. All I have is yours. I surrender all. Then you need to be born again again in repentance and faith, asking Jesus to forgive you for being the boss of your life, and by faith, receiving Jesus as your Savior and Lord to wash away your sins so that you can become a true worshiper. And that's what God's looking for. And yet, there are more than 2 billion people in this section of the world who fail to give God the worship He deserves. They don't even acknowledge He exists. And that's tragic that here the creator of the universe, the king of heaven, creates people in his own image, gives them the breath of life, keeps their hearts beating, sustains their existence, and they not only don't worship him, they don't even acknowledge his existence. And that ought to grieve our hearts. So, Jesus is the king of glory and he deserves to have his fame fill the whole earth. He alone is worthy. He's worthy to have his creation worship him. And he's calling you and me to be involved in spreading his fame to all the nations. Now, here's a section of the world we're talking about. These are the most gospel destitute nations where there's so little access to the gospel and they have the highest levels of persecution In the past, this has been called the 1040 window because of its geographical coordinates of 10 degrees north above the equator, the equator runs across down here, to 40 degrees north latitude above the equator, and going across North Africa, the Middle East, and Asia. Now, I'm not sure who actually created this graphic, okay, but they mistakenly, and some of you are very tuned in geographically. When I was in high school, I hated geography. I had a typical American attitude about geography. All I cared about was the north, uh, northern hemisphere of the Americas, uh, North America, that continent and the rest of the world really wasn't of importance to me. And God had to change my heart because I found out God's very interested in geography. In the book of the Acts, he names 32 different nations. In the book of the Revelation, he says, one day there will be gathered around his throne people out of every people group, every language group, every tribal group and every nation singing worthy is the lamb. So, God's very interested in geography. So, Portugal should not be part of this if you've already picked up on that. I've had people ask me afterwards and I'm preempting your question now. So, it's North Africa, the Middle East, and Asia. And also, by the way, now Indonesia should be part of this. Indonesia is the largest Muslim country in the world, fourth largest country on the planet. So, two-thirds of the world's population lives here, two-thirds. Only one-third of the world's population lives out here, even though there's more land mass out there. And these countries are ruled either by communist, Muslim, Buddhist, or Hindu governments that hate the cross, You can travel hundreds of miles in these countries, never see a church, never see a cross, never see a steeple. You can go hundreds of miles in these countries and meet people who have never met a born-again Christian, never seen a Bible. For example, in Afghanistan right here, there are 48,000 Muslim mosques, not one single Christian church building. In Saudi Arabia, supposed to be our ally in the war on terror, it's illegal to construct a Christian church building. Now, here, particularly in the Southeast, if people have questions about their spiritual condition, they can go find a church and hopefully look up the pastor and get some spiritual counsel. And I understand not every church preaches the gospel. I get that. But, I mean, there are plenty of churches that do in our country. And yet, you look in a context like this where, in many cases, there are no churches, no Bibles. If a person's troubled in their soul, who are they going to turn to? So, you know what percentage of American missionaries go to where two-thirds of the world's population lives? Less than 10%. In other words, more than 90% of the world's population of of U.S. missionaries go to the one-third of the world that's considered safer. Because there's risk involved in going to these countries. And all I'm suggesting, I'm not trying to heap guilt on anybody. I'm not trying to put anybody on a guilt trip. I'm just saying we've got an imbalance here that we need to look at. Okay? Here's Jesus' unstoppable promise. He said to his disciples, I tell you, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Nobody can stop that promise. President Xi in China is trying to neutralize and weaken Christianity and eventually stamp it out. But President Xi, the largest country in the world, a Marxist communist government cannot stop Jesus from building his church. In fact, it's estimated by the year 2030, there'll be more born-again Christians in China than here in the U.S. Kim Jong-un in North Korea has somewhere between 60 and 100,000 Christians in concentration camps, but he can't stop Jesus from building his church. It's an unstoppable promise. Let me give you some examples of how the gospel is going forth that you don't hear about today in the nightly news, okay? More Muslims have come to Christ since 1970. We're talking about the last 50 years than all the previous 1,200-year history of Islam. Muslim imams are coming to Christ, Muslim sheikhs, Muslim mullahs, Frontline Missions has produced a series of videos, outstanding global missions videos called Dispatches from the Front. Maybe some of you have seen some of them. They're one-hour documentaries, incredible, and been endorsed by national Christian leaders. But in Episode 7 on Morocco, this... Arab waiter tells how on 9-11, he saw the, they had the TVs on in the restaurant, planes flying into the Twin Towers. All of his Arab buddies were shouting, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar. They thought it was great. America was getting attacked. And he thought, this isn't the Islam I signed up for, killing people in the name of Allah. And you have to understand, there are millions of Muslims like that. They don't believe the Quran tells them to kill infidels, and he was smitten in his heart. Two weeks later, he met a boarding again Christian. The Christian shared the gospel with him, and God opened his heart, and he received Christ as his Savior. And you know what he said? If I had met that Christian two weeks before 9-11, I wouldn't have given him the time of day. But our God is so awesome, he can take the tragedy of 9-11 and use it to shake up Muslims' faith in their belief in Islam so they're willing to listen to a gospel presentation. An estimated 10,000 Chinese people are coming to Christ daily, and that's primarily without American missionaries. That's because of the powerful network of underground house churches throughout China where their pastors have been willing to go to prison for their faith. I asked a Chinese house church leader in China when I was there, what do you attribute this fantastic growth to? And they answered one word, persecution. God's using persecution to grow His church in China. In fact, when Chinese house church leaders hear that we in America are praying for the persecution to stop, you know what they say? Why would you pray that? God's using persecution to grow our churches. Why would you pray for it to stop? Because in America, we're used to a pain-free, sacrifice-free, risk-free, comfortable form of Christianity, and that's not the Christianity of the New Testament, A lot of American Christians think we're the only ones sending out missionaries. No, we're not. There are other countries where national believers are participating in global missions. Uh, Time doesn't permit me to tell you examples of that. But just before COVID last year, March of last year, the beginning of March, I was in this house church in a Muslim country on the border of Iran. Iran is a radical Muslim country. This is a dear pastor, that's my interpreter, All these folks were born in Muslim families. They've come to faith in Jesus. Six months before I was there, I was there the 1st of March, six months earlier in October, the police raided this house church. They took the husband and the wife down to the police station, kept them for 10 hours interrogating them, finally said, all right, we'll let you go, but quit holding these illegal religious meetings in your home His dear wife was pregnant with their third child. Three days later, she miscarried because of the stress of the police interrogation. The police could have raided it the night I was there. There was risk in my being in this underground illegal house church in a Muslim country. But we were there to encourage these dear believers and see how we could help them in their evangelistic outreach that they have with underground camps to reach Muslim children with the gospel. And so it was a great joy to be there and find out that his wife... This is six months after they were raided, has been, had become pregnant. God would allow her to become pregnant again with another child. God in His graciousness and kindness. Now here are the six inhabited continents of the world drawn by population instead of landmass, and this just surprises people. Notice nearly two-thirds of the world's population is Asian. Sixty-one percent of the world's people are Asian. We live in an Asian world. And this just blows people away because a lot of Americans who, like myself, are of white European descent, we think most of the world looks like us. It doesn't. But God's a God of great creativity. He's created people in His own image that look differently with different facial features, different skin tones, different hair textures, but all in His image. And we teach children from the time they're this high. Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world, red, yellow, black, and white, they're precious in His sight. Then we grow up into adolescence and adulthood and end up having ill feelings and hatred in our hearts towards people that don't look like us, and that's sin. God loves variety. you know how many varieties of apples there are on the planet? 7,500 varieties of apples only 2,500 in the U.S. God loves variety, and He's created us differently. Notice, please, you tell me, what percentage of the world's population is North America? You tell me, what is it? Can you believe that? And if you take out Canada's, uh, Mexico's population, it's only about 3%. So, we're bound by our limited American viewpoint, we look at the world through American eyes instead of through biblical eyes, through God's eyes, who Jesus focuses on the nations. I mean, the last thing he told his disciples is make disciples in all nations, not just the United States of America, which didn't even exist when he gave the Great Commission. And as I said, the U.S. is only 3% of the world's population, just a measly 3%, but we act like we're the king of the universe. And keep in mind, we are Christians first, not Americans first. The kingdom of God is a whole lot bigger than America. The kingdom of God was here long before America got here. And the kingdom of God will be here long after America is no longer here. And besides, why would we want to put a country first that's turning its back on God? Jesus didn't say in the Sermon on the Mount, seek ye first the United States of America and all these things will be added to you. He said, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. But this affects Christians a lot because God in His providence has allowed people from other countries, other ethnicities and backgrounds to come to this country, and a lot of Christians have had this attitude towards them. Why are you here? We don't want you here. Why don't you go back to your own home country? And what sense does it make that God would take people out of countries where there's no, there's very little access to the gospel, bring them to a country that has the greatest density of Christians in the population, and the Christians don't want to share Jesus with them? Again, those are some things that we need to address. So, that swath of nations across North Africa, the Middle East, and Asia has least access to the gospel in that group of some 70 nations in that region, there are more than 4,000 what we call frontier people groups, which means less than a tenth of 1% knows Jesus. So those frontier people groups basically have no churches, no Bibles, just individual believers here and there. And there's over 4,000 of those that need to be reached with the gospel of Christ. And then you couple that with the fact that the majority of graduates of U.S. and Canadian Bible colleges and seminaries, 95% of the graduates of U.S. and Canadian Bible colleges and seminaries stay right here and minister to the 5% of the world that lives here in the U.S. and Canada. The vast majority of those that are trained stay here, whereas 99% of the unevangelized live outside of the U.S. and Canada. They're in Asia, they're in Africa, they're in uh, Europe, South America. 99% of those who have not heard the gospel live outside of the U.S. and Canada. So again, I'm suggesting there's an imbalance here, but it sure looks like we're hoarding the gospel here. When those who have the skills, those who have the training, just stay right here. When Jesus said, all nations. So Frontline Missions has come up with a 31-day prayer calendar for the nations across North Africa, the Middle East, and Asia. I've got copies up here on the platform you can pick up after uh, we're done. Because what's needed is intercession. Intercession for these nations with least access to the gospel. And we're asking folks to pray for one country a day in that gospeltitude area, destitute area, with these two requests, okay? They're not hard to remember. First, for more goers to take the gospel. Matthew 9, 38, Jesus said, pray for more workers for the harvest. By the way, that's a biblical prayer request that we don't obey a whole lot. We don't, we don't follow a whole lot. It's a command and a prayer request, When I was a pastor in the mountains of North Georgia, southern Appalachia, I presided over many, many prayer meetings. Pray for Mrs. Smith. She's in the hospital. Pray for the Jones family. Mr. Jones has passed away and they're in sorrow. Pray for the Morgan family. He's lost his job and he needs employment. I never remember anybody raising their hand and saying, hey, can we please pray for more workers for the harvest? Jesus told us to do it. He said, pray for more workers for the harvest. And that's something we really need to get serious about. So pray for more goers to take the gospel. And number two, special grace for suffering Christians. Hebrews 13, 3 says, remember the prisoners as if you're chained with them. We've got brothers and sisters in other countries who are in prison because of their faith in Jesus Christ. And they desperately yearn not to be forgotten. And they yearn for the Lord's people to pray for them. Now, you know how long it takes you to mention one country before the throne of grace with those two requests, more goers and grace for suffering Christians? Less than 60 seconds a day. Could you take less than a minute a day and lift up these countries before the throne of grace? And there's also some prayer pointers under each one. Like today, the 18th is Iraq, and it says church planting and refugee ministry. So there are other pointers under the individual country names that you can uh, use as prayer points. But we need God's people praying for you. I mean, if you were in darkness in one of these countries... Wouldn't you want the Lord, and, or if you were a believer suffering in one of these countries, wouldn't you want believers in freedom to be lifting you up before the throne of grace? And by the way, you can also download this. If you go to our website, frontlinemissions.info, click on the pray button. You can download it to your smartphone and have it on your smartphone there. Frontlinemissions.info, click on the pray button and you can have it downloaded on your phone this is in a country on the north border of Afghanistan. I'm there teaching these Muslim background believers. That's my interpreter. All these other guys were born in Muslim families. They've come to faith in Christ. They've been born again and called to preach. And they're very careful about who they allow to come in and do teaching and training. They took us to a house up in the mountains outside the capital city with a gate and a big fence around it. And after we arrived, they said, John, don't go outside the gate. They said, if our Muslim neighbors see you here, they'll call the police because no Americans are supposed to be here. So, you see, there's risk involved even in going and helping and training, yet these guys are so excited about being called to preach the gospel of Christ, and they're more effective in reaching their own people because they can tell them what it was like to be in the darkness of Islam and then to be converted out of it into the glorious privilege of the mercies and grace of God who's forgiven all of their sins. So, what does Frontline Missions do? We tell the big story, how the message of the cross is advancing. Jesus is building his church in Muslim communist, Hindu people groups, and nations. Uh, we're also involved in helping fund evangelistic camps in Muslim countries for Muslim children to be reached with the gospel. Here's one, for example, again, north of Afghanistan. Sometimes the parents will come and sit in and listen, and these are nominal Muslims, cultural Muslims. They're not devout Muslims. They would let their kids go to a Christian camp. But these kids hear the gospel, and they learn who Jesus really is, not the Islamic version of Jesus. We had a 12-year-old boy who wrote a testimony last summer, said he found out at camp that Jesus is the Son of God, And would take away his sins if he would be born a second time and he would get a second family. So he repented of his sins, prayed to receive Jesus. He went home and told his mother about it and she hit the roof. And she came and chewed out the camp directors. What in the world are you teaching my son? And the camp officials had already said, if parents object, we're not going to argue with them. We're just going to pray for them and shower them with love and kindness. And so after they let the woman vent, they asked her, said, do you mind if we share with you what we shared with your son? She said, okay. They went through the gospel with her, and the Spirit of God opened her heart, and the Muslim mother was converted. So we're seeing God do exciting things. Part of the way we tell the big story is through a series of videos called Dispatches from the Front. They're 10 episodes. They're country-specific, showing the power of the gospel through both American missionaries in restricted countries and national believers who are doing the work reaching their own people. I love this episode 10 right here. Which has a scene and a cool scene of an Easter sunrise service on the beach on Easter Sunday morning in a Muslim country, where the spirit of God's at work. These videos are available here. Um, we also equip goers to go to the hard places, training risk takers to take the gospel to unreached people groups, and we do it through a two-level program called our frontline experience first is two months an internship in the summertime in a creative access country hostile to the gospel our interns this summer are going to a Muslim country in North Africa they'll spend three hours a day learning Arabic they will learn how to get along in the culture how to learn to go buy stuff at the store how to function in a culture like that by the end of two months eight weeks they ought to know if God's calling them to do it long term See, to go to one of these countries, you don't just make an emotional decision, say, hey, you know, this is what we're doing. We're just going to pack up everything and go and go raise support and then go. There has to be a careful vetting process and seeing what the situation, the living conditions are like in ministering cross-culturally in a country that is not only different from America, but a country where they hate Americans and they hate Christians, but guess what? You remember the Apostle Paul in his first missionary journey? He went into Lystra and they stoned him and dragged him out of town. And God graciously restored his health. What did he do? Do you say, well, that's a closed city. They don't want the gospel there. I'm going on to the next city. No, Paul got up. He went back into the city where he was rejected and stoned. That's taking risks for the gospel. So, we have this two-month practical experience, immersion in the culture. If you're interested, I have a flyer on this for perhaps next summer 2022 or maybe 2023, and you want to pray about it. And so, you know, you say, John, God might be calling me to take risks and go into one of these hard countries. And I'm at least willing to listen and pray about it. So, take one of those flyers At the end of the two months, if a young person says, God's calling me to do this long-term, then they move into our two-year further training in a creative access nation to build on the skills of FX1. Who's God looking for? Those who are willing to reject the idea of chasing the American dream, just going after finding a family and 1.93 children, which is the average in America today, and having multiple vehicles and a big boat and a place at the lake and just living it up and accumulating as much in your IRA as you can. God's looking for people who reject the American dream and they'll follow Jesus by being risk takers to take the gospel to unreached people groups and hard places. You know, after we were attacked on 9-11, and this coming September will be the 20th anniversary, a lot of young people went to the recruitment agencies and said, Hey, sign me up. I'm going to go fight radical Islam and protect earthly freedom in Afghanistan. And many of them went. Some of them paid the ultimate price. They came home in a casket and we honored their memories. But then when young people say, Well, we want to sign up in the Lord's army. We want to go into one of these countries and share Jesus, unfortunately, some of the adults, parents, and even other people will say, No, don't go. It's too risky. It's too dangerous. We're so conflicted about this. We don't mind taking risks to defend earthly freedom. What about preaching spiritual freedom in Christ to those who are in darkness? So, can you advance that for me, please? For some reason, we've, there we go. And we send long-term workers, skilled long-term workers to make disciples. Teams, we send them in teams that result in churches being planted. Take Dwight and Melissa, for example. The way he got into this Muslim country in North Africa was in a video production business. He makes videos for businesses that want to advertise their wares. So as a video production business, he gets in, in a business visa and they're there helping this radio broadcast that's done by converted Muslims. They're preaching the gospel that's going forth throughout Morocco and into the neighboring country of Algeria and people are calling in and asking for Bibles and New Testaments and they take them to them even if it's 50 or 100 miles away. They take them a Bible or a New Testament if they're sincere, sincerely asking so, God's using them like that. This is Casey who came up through our frontline experience, the two month one and the two year one. He's now in another Muslim country in North Africa, speaks fluent Arabic, preaches in Arabic. He's an elder in his church in that city, and they're helping to begin evangelizing a neighboring city. And just this January, he transitioned from being an intern to a full time field worker. Casey's 27 years of age, he's single. And he has a heart for making disciples. The way he got into his country is as an English teacher. Teaches English as a second language. That's his platform for being there. And he's active trying to make disciples for God's glory. So English teaching is a way to get in healthcare, startup businesses, community development. Remember what the Holy Spirit said to Timothy, young Timothy, through Paul. God has not, God gave us not a spirit of fear but he's given us a spirit of power, Holy Spirit, power, love, genuine love, so we love even those who are enemies and self-control. That's so important to keep in mind. Let me tell you right quickly about Jeremiah Small that went to Iraq, and I'll finish with this. He went as an English teacher amongst the Kurdish people in northern Iraq, taught over 1,000 Muslim high school students. He'd take them out hiking in the mountains around Sulamanya, and he knew the hiking trails better than the students did. He'd take him down to the bazaar downtown and eat goat brain soup with them, okay? But one morning, as he bowed his head to pray at the beginning of class, an 11th grader stood up with a pistol and shot him three times and then turned the gun on himself. Uh, the guy was kind of deranged and may have had some radical Islamic influence. But the people, the parents of the school were shocked because the Kurds had said no American blood had been shed on their soil in all the fighting that had gone on in Iraq. And the parents were saying, here this young man comes from America to teach our children and give them an education so they can rise higher in life than we've been able to do, and one of our own kills him? In fact, this young man was related to the governor. He was a relative of the wealthy governor of that province Jeremiah's parents flew over there. They wanted him buried in Iraq because that's where his heart was. And they held a memorial service. Well, first when they got there, the governor's representatives met him and had him sign a statement that they weren't coming to get a financial settlement out of the governor's family because the boy was, the 11th grader, was part of the governor's family. They said, why would we want a financial settlement and undo everything Jeremiah taught? In his English classes, he couldn't share the gospel, but he could teach John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress with the gospel in it. He could teach C.S. Lewis's The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe about King uh, Aslan representing King Jesus. They had the memorial service. 700 people showed up, the majority of Muslims. Students came and gave their testimony as part of a eulogy about the impact that Jeremiah had had on their lives. Even those who had not been converted, they said he taught us to live for others. He taught us to have a servant's heart. Jeremiah's dad got up to speak and he said, we have no ill will towards this young man or his family. The shooter's parents were sitting down on the front row of this memorial service. He said, we've fully forgiven this young man. We have no ill will against his family. He said, because Jeremiah taught that love is stronger than hate and forgiveness is stronger than bitterness because of what Jesus has done. And he said, by the way, Mr. and Mrs. So-and-so, we need to reach out to them and uh, comfort them because they have lost their only son. There's a hole in their family too. When Mr. Small was finished speaking, he came down off the platform and something unheard of in that male chauvinist Arab culture, the dad of the shooter gets up, walks across, hugs him and says, thank you for loving us with tears in his eyes. Thank you for forgiving us and not holding, us, uh, holding it against us. They're going to be Kurdish people in heaven because Jeremiah at age 34 went into the presence of Jesus as a martyr to sow seeds of the gospel in Iraq. So, let me just finish up here. As we focus on God's glory, it means that we lose our lives for the gospel's sake. And as Americans, we value safety and security, but God hadn't promised us physical safety and security. So, there are two questions we have to ask ourselves regularly. I ask myself these questions because it's not a one-shot deal, okay? Do I love my life too much? says about the martyrs in Revelation, they overcame Satan by the word of their testimony and the blood of the Lamb because they love not their lives even unto death. Do I love my life too much? Number two, do I value Jesus as life's greatest treasure? Is Jesus more important than my family, more important than my boyfriend or girlfriend, more important than my major in school more important than my possessions more important than where I live and being an American is Jesus more important than any of that and if he is I'll follow him because you see brothers and sisters missions is not about going to a place I want to make that very clear it's not about going to a place missions is about following a person and that person's Jesus okay this is a lot of information and pastor paul has suggested something about a A, or i don't know if there's enough time left would you come please sir no, yeah. Thank you, so much. That was awesome. you can sign up for our e-newsletter if you want to get more information you can sign up here for our monthly e-newsletter
1: he has a handful of items down here coming up after if you want to talk to him after as well if you have questions you can come on down uh, I'm going to pray, and then our band's going to uh, close us out in a song. And then also remember, if you do want to continue to hear more from John or, or continue the conversation, um, hang out after, and uh, we're going to figure out lunch plans. All right, let's pray, and band, come on down. Father, we thank you so much for uh, just this brother in Christ who continues the, the message that uh, we hear time and time again uh, to, uh, to sacrifice much for you, uh, to really just do exactly what Christ... Had done in his own life when he uh, he followed God's will no matter what that meant and uh, surrender to it. Lord, I pray that uh, you use this time this morning to stir within somebody a greater desire for their life, giving them a vision for how their life can count more than what they had been considering. Uh, God, I ask for those uh, those people in this room that they would continue to follow your path, that they would Continue to give you their life and surrender. Uh, give them patience and give them a vision of you and your glory among the nations that uh, sees them through the challenges that are going to come in the years ahead. Uh, but God, we thank you for this reminder this morning uh, of the work that you're doing throughout the world. And uh, I just ask that you'd use us, that we'd be part of it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's stand <clears throat> as we sing one more song.